Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, September 10th, and we're talking about a fresh S1. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's frugal fountain of free-flowing foolish philosophies, Brian Baroli. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, I survived my first week of sending my kids back to school. Everybody has a smile on their face, so I'm in a great mood. How are you doing? You look cheery. You know, we're, we're, we're taping this within our, our member live stream, uh, Motley Fool Live. And yeah, you don't, you don't look down at all by that. You look like you have survived, and you're, you're thriving, Brian. My secret is that I do yoga right before I come on Industry Focus, and that always puts me in a good mood. It's, it's amazing what a stretch will do for you, right? You know, just like kind of you know, work the body out, make sure everything feels like it's being used. Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm excited. We, uh, we have an S1 show here, always one of my favorite things to do. Uh, in this case, uh, we have to give a shout out. We got this company recommended to us from Irritable Investor on Twitter, uh, and the company is Freshworks, uh, which I'm sure we will make many puns on throughout the show if history is any indication. Um, pretty interesting business, Brian. This is a relatively fresh prospectus that we're looking at. It has not been out that long. When I first learned about this company, uh, this is a company focused on customer relationship management tools. I thought, another one? Like that was my initial, uh, my, my initial thought about about this company. Like there are so many wonderful tools out there that do this exact same thing. I mean, just off the top of my head, I was like Salesforce.com, HubSpot, Zendesk, Appian. How on earth could this company possibly be different? Yes, uh, we will get into the magic quadrant for the company, <laughs> the space that this company operates in. It is a crowded one for sure. Uh, and and maybe we'll just go straight into the S one and and go uh, from from the the company writing here on describing themselves. Uh, they say we provide businesses of all sizes with modern SaaS products that are designed with the user in mind. We started with Freshdesk, our customer experience product, then later expanded our offering to include Fresh Service, our IT service management product, and expanded our product offering to include more complete customer relationship management solution, which includes Salesforce and marketing automation. Um, that gives you a pretty good lens into uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, and yeah, Brian, those are, those are some pretty crowded product categories already. They certainly are, but just digging into the quick history of this company, it does show signs that the company is clearly thinking with optionality in mind. As you pointed out, they started out with just a, a product that was focused on uh, the consumer experience, but they have clearly entered other product categories. So they now have five total product categories, uh, most of which are paid products, but they do have some tools that are downloadable for free. So they have Fresh Desk, which is their flagship product, which is a um, messaging service, uh, customer contact service customer success services, etc. They have Fresh Sales, which are tools focused on the needs of sales professionals. Fresh Marketer, which is marketing tools. Fresh Team, which is tools for HR departments. And Fresh Service, which is for IT service departments. So they are really focused on providing a ton of back office tools for businesses. Yeah, and and this is uh you know kind of one of those classic founder story type businesses. Uh, the the business is currently run. The CEO and CTO are founders. Uh, started by Garish Mathrabutham. Uh, you'll see him referred to as G sometimes, as he is in the founder letter uh, in the prospectus. And then there's Sean 
Krishna Sami, uh, and they, they founded the company over a decade ago uh, after G had run into issues where a TV was broken during transit, and he, he had uh, made a very vocal and, and ultimately viral uh, post uh, about it, looking for some customer service help. Um, the experience for him identified that increasingly, and this is, you know, you have to kind of go back in time here. This is 2010. It's kind of quaint to think about. Uh, companies need to be able to interact with customers in a lot of different avenues. And increasingly, uh, with the advent of social in particular, Brian, uh, users are far more in control of that dynamic than they used to be. There's no doubt that the tools that this company offers uh, are must-have for businesses nowadays. Hosting them in the cloud just offers so many advantages. And to your point, one customer can go out, get on social media these days, and really create a bad PR fiasco for you. Having the tools in place to manage the customer relationship uh, throughout the entire experience is crucial. Yep. And it's it's kind of an interesting business um, in the tech landscape because uh, it was founded in Chennai, in India. Uh, it is headquartered in San Mateo. Uh, and for folks that are going to be interested in watching this one, uh, the proposed ticker is FRSH. So just some, some details to keep in mind here. Um, Brian, even in describing what the company does in the prospectus, we use the non-proper noun version of a company, right? We, we, uh, we uh, brought Salesforce into the conversation, but we were using it in the literal sense, lowercase s space, lowercase f Salesforce. There's no shortage of companies that are interested in this space. Um, and it's a big part of how the company even talks about themselves. I really like that because right up front in the shareholder letter from uh, the CEO and founder to potential investors, he they they acknowledge all the questions that I initially had about the business when I fir first heard about it. So they, I love this quote, Freshworks is the company that wasn't supposed to win. Whether we could differentiate ourselves in a crowded market or compete with larger players or build a global SaaS company from India, the doubts were always there and people were not shy about telling me this over the years. I really like that honesty up front. And yet, despite those headwinds and my initial hesitation about the company, the numbers clearly show that this company is winning. Yeah, it, it reminds me in a way, I, I think it was Jack Dorsey wrote uh, a, a like 100 point plus rundown of all the reasons that Square could fail when he was building Square, um, or maybe before he built Square. And it reminds me of that. You you want the humility of someone who has been told this isn't going to work, um, and then goes out and says, you know, I think I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, and, and, and so far, it has proven uh, to be the right decision, 100% for the, for the management team and the founding team here. Um, they are surprisingly large for a company that operates in a space with so many big players already. They have already attracted more than 52,000 customers in total. That number is growing at a rate of about 2,000 or so per quarter. While many, many of those customers are small businesses and medium-sized businesses, they do have over 13,000 customers in total that will spend more than $5,000 per year on this platform. And they have 1,100 companies that are going to spend $50,000 per year on this platform. That includes companies that undoubtedly our listeners have heard of, Discover, Cooper Software, American Express, TaylorMade, Stitch Fix. So while the vast majority of their customers are small and medium-sized businesses, they have landed some relatively big customers too. Yeah, and, and I think in in talking through what uh, the company does, the, the space that it operates in, um, no one's going to be surprised here when we talk about the business model, Brian. This is pretty typical SaaS. It is a 
Software as a service business model. <laughs> I mean, you can just stop there pretty much. But they do offer some free tools to get people interested in Onboard Upfront. Uh, those free tools are mostly about website monitoring and uh, incident management. Uh, from there, if they can grab your email address, they do try to upsell you to their to their many other 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 services. Uh, we listed them. Uh, we listed them before. Uh, in addition to that, they have a growing network of industry partners that can help to onboard uh, uh, customers. Uh, they have more than four hundred of these partners in place around the globe. And they also have a thriving app store. Once you uh, get on top of this product, you can easily uh, shop and add product, uh, other products uh, and services from the company's built-in marketplace. They have over a thousand apps and integration directly, including Slack, uh, Jira, Shopify, Zoom, MailChimp, etc. Yeah. And that's a playbook that we have seen a lot of other larger companies hit, and it's been incredibly successful. That's right. And the company does have the numbers to show that its its growth strategy uh, is clearly paying off. So the numbers that we do have so far for fiscal year 2020, total revenue was up 44% to $250 million. You look one line below that and we see a 79% gross margin. High growth, high gross margin. Pretty good start so far. Now, on the bottom line, the company reported an operating loss of about $50 million. So in 2020, they were producing an operating loss. If you push forward to the first half of 2020, the numbers actually get better. Growth so far in the first half of 2020 was um, about 53%, so a slight acceleration uh, sequentially. Uh, One thing to note is this company is looting money on the bottom line, but that is almost entirely due to their largest spending category, which is sales and marketing. They spend about 54% of total revenue on sales and marketing. That makes sense given how crowded the space is. However, on a free cash flow basis, the company is already free cash flow positive, generating about $4 million in the first half of 2021. Yeah. And just just to clarify that, Brian, I, th- I think you might have had this right, but it's uh, the first half of 2021, we saw some growth acceleration from revenue. You, you might have said 2020 in there. I just, just want to make sure we got that right for our listeners. Um, but what I think is, is kind of interesting is um, if you if you look at the costs here, you know, sales and marketing, huge part of it. Um, we see R&D is also a relatively sizable part of it. Slimmer losses in 2021 so far than what we saw in 2020 for this business. A big part of that is reduction in R&D and SG&A spend. Um, We know that customer acquisition is a really large part of how software companies uh, grow. And very often, you got to pay to acquire those customers. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But uh, if you're looking holistically at that, the financials, it is a company that's moving closer and closer to profitability. And you love to see that a business that has already achieved relatively decent size can find accelerating revenue growth. Yeah, that that's rare, especially in the crowded marketplace. And because, again, because of the competition uh, here, it makes sense that they do have to spend so heavily on sales and marketing. It's also worth pointing out that this company has pretty high stock-based compensation uh, costs. It's common for us to see kind of low stock-based compensation expense prior to coming public, and then those numbers really accelerate after they come public. And that really gives you a true sense of what stock-based compensation looks like. For the first half of 2021, this company actually reported stock-based compensation expense of $42 million. I'm sure a whole bunch of that is the reason why expense grow, expenses grew so much in sales and marketing and in R&D. So it's possible. We don't have proof of this yet, but it's possible that dilution here could be pretty high post-IPO. 
yeah, you never know. That, that it's just one of those big things. You just got to wait and see. Um, I think one thing that is uh, reassuring, looking at the financials too, is you go over to the balance sheet, over $100 million in cash as of the end of June of 2021. Uh, and the biggest line item when you look over at their liabilities is deferred revenue. Uh, looking around, Brian, I didn't really see much in the way of long-term debt for this business. Um not that it's you know something that has to be there uh, you know for for me, but like it's it's always encouraging to know that you know there's a lot of financial flexibility there. For sure, the balance sheet prior to coming public looked good. Obviously, it's only going to look better post IPO. So from that perspective, the company's in good shape. Yep, and this is a SaaS company, so no surprise we're going to look beyond the standard financial metrics here uh, and look at some industry specific ones. Brian, uh, we're going to start out with net dollar expansion rate, or in this case, retention rate. Yeah, that's the good one. That does include churn. And uh, as of uh, the most recent uh, quarter, that figure was 118%. That is actually a pretty impressive figure, given this the, the companies that uh, this, this business tends to serve. As a reminder, they have about 52,000 total customers, but only about 13,000 of them are spending $5,000 or more. That tells me that probably some around 40,000 are likely to be small, uh, small, small businesses. When you are catering to the needs of small businesses, one one downside is churn tends to be higher. The chances of those companies going out of business is higher. The chances of them being more unwilling to uh, give up your service based on price or getting bought out, that's just the nature of the market that they're in. So the fact that their dollar-based net revenue retention was 118% is pretty good when put in that context. Yeah. And, and I think it's easy you know, with, with the market environment that we've been in recently to say, oh, it's only 118%. Uh, I mean, our, our meter has been broken a little bit by by some businesses, Brian. Um, 118% is pretty stellar. You know, absent everything else, we're getting pretty solid growth, even if they don't bring new customers in. And it's also important just the nature of the business model. This is a subscription-based uh, business model. A lot of the numbers that we've seen that are completely eye-popping are usage-based business models, like like Snowflake, uh, for example, like Twilio, for example. Uh, that dynamic alone kind of changes the nature of the dollar-based net revenue retention rate. So again, 118% in the most recent quarter might not uh, jump out at the page like, wow, look at that number. But judged in the context of it being subscription and servicing small customers, it's solid. Yeah, and I think one of the benefits of you know serving small customers is uh, you're a little bit more insulated from competition, uh, and we know that they're operating in a crowded space where you know there are a lot of very big players out there. So being a relatively accessible option um, and being a place where you know some of the smaller fish are going to come, uh, it's probably a little bit less competitive there. Uh, additionally, there's the opportunity, Brian. Uh, it's kind of like having an unmonetized free audience if you're in the freemium model, where uh, a very small percentage of their customers, um, or relatively small percentage of their customers, spending more than $5,000 in ARR. That means that there's a very large opportunity in front of them if they're able to grow with their customers um, and and you know be able to build them into larger accounts going forward. For sure. And the company also breaks out another spending category. So customers that will spend more than $50,000 per year or more on this platform, uh, that figure was 1,164. So that minority of customers, again, that's only what, uh, about 2% of their total customers. That 2% of customers accounts for about 33% of total annualized recurring revenue. So we do see, while they do have lots of customers uh, in total, a minority of customers are driving an outsized portion of revenue. Thankfully, even with that with that di dynamic, there is zero customer concentration risk here for investors to worry about. Yeah, um, and and you know, folks that listen to the show regularly know we we like to look over at what type of moat a business has. Uh, that, that'll be the next thing we'll we'll check out here. And I think you know, similar to to most SaaS companies, Brian, um, 
it's it's sticky once you're in there. And I think the the challenge is uh, for a company like this. I'm going to sound like one of the people in the in, in the founders letter here. Um, they are actually going up against a lot of other companies' moats. Uh, they they kind of have to convince people to. Uh, choose their solution over some of the kind of deeper, more entrenched legacy solutions. That's, that's the nature of really a lot of SaaS companies that we talk about. It is often very hard and very expensive to acquire those customers. But once you do acquire those customers, they tend to get used to your product and they are loath to switch to another one. And if you just look at this company's net revenue retention rate, that clearly proves the company is keeping uh, the lion's share of the customers that uh, that uh, that that it does acquire. Uh, but to your point, make no mistake, this company has to uh, ha- is facing off against some huge competitors right up front when it was trying to get those uh, new customers in the door. They're facing off against Salesforce, Pegasus System, ServiceNow, Zendesk, Microsoft, Oracle, HubSpot. So the company does have its work cut out for it. It does, and, and I mean, I think it's interesting to to look at that magic quadrant. We cite it often when we're looking at um, various software categories. Uh, you know, this comes from Gartner, and it's a decent lens into just how people are looking at the industry. Um, you know, takes a look at both a business's ability to execute and the completeness of that company's vision. Um, Salesforce is far and away the leader in CRM, customer engagement center market. That like they they run that market. And then there's a cluster of other companies. You mentioned a bunch of them, Microsoft, ServiceNow, Zendesk, uh, Oracle, Pegasystems. Um, Freshwork, I would say, uh, Freshworks, I would say, is kind of, Brian, in the middle of the pack for this market. Um, and, and they're going to have to prove for a lot of the larger accounts that they want to bring on that they offer something unique that a lot of these other players, especially you know, some bigger enterprises, um, are probably using already. One of the ways that they say that they differentiate themselves against the likes of those industry titans they're going up uh, against is uh, ease of use. Uh, I mean, I, I, I personally used Salesforce.com in the last uh, company that, uh, that that I worked for, and I can tell you why it was extremely powerful. It was not intuitive. It did take a bunch of training to get up and running. I'm sure that's changed dramatically uh, in the 10 years since I, I last used it. But I, I buy that when they say the company, uh, when, when if you're using a, ser- a service from Oracle or Salesforce, they're designed for big organizations that have a certain type of dynamic at the at the company. Freshwork is going after the smaller companies, and they say that they compete on ease of use, completeness of products, and lower total cost of, of ownership. So that's how they're separating themselves. Yep. And I will add, staring at the magic uh, quadrant here, uh, Freshworks is the only one in the visionary category. And so, you know, they, they've been there twice. Um, there's their sixth consecutive year on the quadrant. So um, they are certainly on the map. And I think they are just meeting a slightly different section of the market right now than a lot of those bigger names out there um, and probably offering a really compelling solution to a lot of these small and medium sized businesses. Well, we don't have to really guess at that. We just look at the numbers, right? And they've got 50,000 customers and they're attracting 2,000 more. So they are clear, their, their strategy is clearly doing something right. Yep. And uh, you know, when we turn over to TAM and potential here, Brian, um, no surprise, big numbers. Uh, we're talking software. Uh, we're talking uh, a relatively aggressive growth company. Um, the numbers get big fast. They're they're eyeing an 120 billion dollar TAM. Even if you take a healthy haircut on that, there's no shortage of opportunity here. Yeah, they believe that of that $120 billion total TAM, the number that is addressable today is about $77 billion. I mean, that's the magic of really anything to do with cloud computing. Not only the absolute size of the market's enormous today, they're growing at a very healthy rate. So yet again, if this company doesn't succeed, it's not because the opportunity isn't there. 
Uh, and I mentioned that two founders still at the helm here uh, as the CEO and CTO. Um, pretty high marks. We we talked about just you know just the the nature of the founders letter, and I was really impressed by that. But what we see when we look over at Glassdoor is it seems like there's pretty steady approval of the CEO. Um, people enjoy working at this business, and I think they have like four thousand employees. Brian, this is one of those companies that is sneaky big. It is. It's much bigger than you would assume that it is. And I'm guessing a whole bunch of them are in sales and marketing to get people uh, in the door and onboarding. But uh, Glassdoor definitely has uh, checks out here. The company itself gets 4.3 stars out of five. The CEO gets a 97% approval rating, and that is on almost 500 reviews. So that is likely to be an accurate representation of what it's like to work at the company. Putting it all together, Brian, kind of taking it all in. Um, this is a space that you and I both invest in a lot. You know, we we both own a good number of of SaaS players. Um, in some ways, this looks like a pretty typical smaller SaaS business. The we know what is ahead of them. They need to convince companies to spend with them instead of spending elsewhere. Um, they don't have the benefit of kind of creating a market and being the first entrant in it, which is in a lot of ways, uh, I think, one of the easier ways to go about being a SaaS company. Yeah, if you take everything all together, I think that there is more to like about this business than there is to dislike. Uh, the SaaS business model is obviously one of our favorites. Customers are clearly very sticky, as shown by that dollar-based net revenue retention rate. There's already signs of optionality and launching new products and new services. Uh, it's a founder-led business with a great corporate uh, culture. They're already free cash flow positive. Their balance sheet is in, in great shape. They're growing strong, and their TAM is absolutely huge. Offsetting that awesomeness is the fact that this is a highly competitive market and is only likely to get even more competitive uh, moving forward. The company has to spend a ton on customer acquisition to bring those customers uh, in the door. And once again, this is a company that's choosing when it needs to go public. The idea isn't, isn't we need capital, we have to go public. It's we want to go public. Because of that, it could indicate that growth may be slowing. What does growth look like in a post-COVID world? We don't know that yet. And we also don't know things like what does inside ownership look like post IPO? How much money are, are they raising? What's the valuation? But overall, uh, I think this company does check many of the boxes that I look for. Yeah, and, and valuation is going to be one of the biggies here. Um, you know, it, it was a three point five billion dollar company in a twenty nineteen funding round off of a much smaller revenue base. You know, we kind of have to work to something based on both revenue, growth, prospects in general, but. I think you can expect it to be a pretty large number uh, when it comes public. This is not going to be a company that's debuting at sub $5 billion. Yeah, high gross margin, high, high growth. Uh, high growth Is this going to be a $6 billion company, $8 billion company, $9 billion company, $20 billion company? I mean, who, who knows what the, uh, the market is going to end up paying for that? So that will be something for investors to watch. Yeah, but with a net dollar retention rate as high as they have um, and pretty solid top line growth, certainly an interesting business. Brian, for me, a watch list stock, um, mostly because I just want to see what they're able to do. Um, it's 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 a kind of a cool tech story as well, um, just knowing that the founding story and, um, and everything like that. And so um, this is a watch list one for me. Yeah, right, I'm right there with you. It's a watchless one for me. Not when I'm, I'm going to foaming at the mouth to buy on day one. But uh, if uh, if the price came along that I was looking for and the company proved itself out as a public company, I could see taking a position down the road. Shout out to the irritable investor for throwing this one on our radar. And we are always looking for ideas for the show, Brian. Brian, you are at Brian Froldy on Twitter. Uh, we are at MF Industry Focus on Twitter. 
feel free to shoot your ideas there. And of course, industryfocus@fool.com is another spot where you can send potential show topics. Brian, yesterday was our, our 2000th episode of Industry Focus, and one person was left off of the the thanks and gratitude. And I think it was you. I, I don't know if you got name checked. <laughs> we we spent so much time uh, hitting on all the folks from the, you know, the kind of the history of the show. Uh, I love doing the show with you, man. And it's it's really a joy to do it with you. Well, that means that if yesterday was a 2000, that means that me and you got the 1999th and the 2001. <laughs> so take that, the rest of industry focus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, our poor industry focus listeners have gotten me three times this week. Uh, I think think they're ready for a palate cleanser on Monday with Jason Moser. Um, Brian, as always, I hope you have an awesome weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks, Dylan. I love being here. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on! Fool on!